Your Working Life, a podcast that provides you with tools, inspiration, and resources so you can enjoy your career and love your life. I'm Caroline Dowd Higgins. I'm a career and executive coach, and today I welcome Sally Helgeson to the show. Sally, welcome. Carolyn, it's great to be here. Oh, I'm so excited about your new book. You're going to be talking about how women can break habits that prevent them from career success. And I am just thrilled with this new resource. I'm going to mention the title of the book that you and Marshall Goldsmith co-authored right off the bat. It's called How Women Rise, Break the 12 Habits Holding You Back from Your Next Raise, Promotion, or job. So Sally, let's dive right in. I was sharing with you before the show that I, I I enjoyed the book from cover to cover, and I have a hard copy in front of me, but I listened to the audio version, which I absolutely loved, because hearing your voice and Marshall's voices together was a transformative experience. But bring us back. What inspired you two to co-author this pivotal transformative book for women? Yeah, it's a it's a wonderful story. Um, I have been uh, I've been working with women leaders and aspiring women leaders all around the world for the last 30 years to help them uh, maximize their impact and achieve their goals uh, and also helping organizations that want to realize uh, the best performance and the best engagement from women. Uh, so I've been doing that uh, since publication of the female advantage women's ways of leadership back in 1990. Uh, And in the probably around 2011, 2012, I developed a new workshop that one of the aspects of it was helping women to be more intentional about their careers. And I decided to use Marshall, whom I've known for 25 years, his wonderful book, What Got You Here Won't Get You There, Mm -hmm. because I thought it was a very powerful template. And the fundamental insight is the idea that the very behaviors that get you to a certain level in your career can hold you back as you seek to rise and move forward. I thought it was a very uh, powerful concept. However, as I used the book, and I, I was you know, quite aware of the fact that while some of the behaviors that Marshall focuses on in that book are gender neutral, others are much more problematic for men, which is not surprising given that his coaching base, he's a world's number one exec, number one ranked executive coach, is primarily CEOs and probably 75 to 80 percent male. For example, he had in uh, one of the behavior, you know, learn to apologize. Well, you know, I've worked with women who can't open a door without saying I'm sorry. <laughs> so this is not a major uh, stumbling block for many women. You know, uh, don't talk about yourself all the time. Um, don't claim credit for everything. Don't always tell everybody how great you are. Uh, these are may have been behaviors that got in the way of some of his male leaders. They certainly do not tend to get in the way of most women who have difficulty often claiming their own achievements or are not using the we word when it is actually appropriate to say, yes, I did that. So I, um, I said, you know, I, I, I love this book. I love the idea. I think we should uh, collaborate on a book um, that looks at how behaviors that may serve women well earlier in their career get in their way as they move higher. So it takes that template but focuses on behaviors that actually uh, are, are problematic for women. We had another colleague who loved that idea and also suggested it. So uh we move forward on it and uh, and how women rise as a result. And, and I think it really does offer 
lots of tools and practices that can be very, very useful to women. And I'm getting enormous resonance with it as I uh, travel on this extended two and a half month. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, it really is transformative. And I can tell you as a fellow coach out in the trenches, it is so powerful for women and for myself. You know, we're constantly, I believe, works in progress. So always room to learn and grow and develop. But Sally, let, let's back up. So you focus on behaviors that many women exig- exhibit in the workplace, but these aren't always the only thing holding them back from yes. success. So elaborate on that. That, if you would. Yeah, and, and I want to make very clear that in focusing on behaviors, neither Marshall nor I uh, are, are trying to suggest that there are not cultural and structural problems that get in the way of women in organizations. Those are real. They can be highly specific, like performance reviews that yeah. seem weighted toward um, uh, toward uh, toward men. They can be more broadly cultural. Uh, there, there are many, many issues that do get in women's ways that they can't address. They may have a boss who isn't comfortable with women. Those right. things are real. But what we both felt and what certainly for me reflects my experience is that 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 it's best for women, it, it's, it's good to take collective action, but it's also really empowering to focus on what we can control. And what we can control are behaviors that get in our own way. And by the way, I do think, and you know, I've, I've been watching the influence of women on organizations from a front row seat for, th- for the last 30 years now. And the most powerful way to have an impact on the culture or structure is to move is for there be to be more women in senior and leadership and decision making positions. Right. And if these behaviors can help more women achieve those positions of power and influence and authority, um, then that's going to begin to in rapid and powerful ways shift the culture and the structure to be more supportive. So we're really focusing, we're not saying, oh, you know, uh, it's women's fault. If you you feel stuck, it's your fault because of your behaviors. No, there are many things that can keep you stuck. Fellow women colleagues, whether it's just collegial coaching or perhaps they're coaching women in an informal or formal capacity, because as you said, it's not them and us. We're all playing in this professional sandbox together. That's exactly right. And, and you know, I've, I've done so many interviews and it's been fascinating to me that almost everybody has made that point. And I think it's because we're ready for it. I think there is in, in, in all except the most challenged and, and struggling organizations that there is a recognition that, that helping women to advance is going to be a positive thing for the organization. And there is a real genuine eagerness. And I think especially in this volatile environment that we're part of now, uh, on the part of men, you know, how can I be most helpful? Yeah. How can I be a resource? I hear that all the time. And, and we're, you know, I, I, I was doing a program in Houston two days ago and, uh, we ran out of books early, but you know, <laughs> there were, you know, one 
fifth of the people standing in line were men and they weren't saying I'm buying this for my wife or I'm buying it for my daughter. They were saying, I think this will help me. That's great. um, In the women. Yeah. So I I think that's a good timing. Couldn't be happier to hear that. And you know, the collaborative nature with, with you and Marshall is just palpable. You know, the, the passion for, for helping men and women. I believe this is an all boats rise with a high tide scenario, but it was really interesting because you, you both brought unique perspectives to the table. And as you mentioned earlier, Marshall is is known worldwide as an extraordinary executive coach, and uh, many of his clients have and are men, have been men and are men. So what are some of the differences that you've both found between men and women and their behavior in the workplace? Well, I think some of those are, you know, we have 12 behaviors, but I think there are three behaviors that are really uh, foundational here. And and um, I'd like to talk a little bit about them because I think they're behaviors that are much more likely to get in women's ways. And the first one is expecting others to spontaneously notice and value your contributions. Right. I became aware of this uh, a number of years ago. I was doing a, a, a study for, commissioned to do a study for a group of partnership firms, law, accounting, consulting, and investment banking, in which I interviewed women who had made partner. Mm-hmm. And, and they were very consistent on the answer to two of the questions I asked them. One of the questions was, what are the greatest strengths of the younger women in your firm um, who have aspirations or potential for partnership? And what I heard over and over was the quality of their work. They are so conscientious. They do the best possible quality work. They cross every T. They dot every I. They show up. Um, they are uh, extremely reliable and devoted to the quality of their work. And what they're least good at is bringing attention to the quality of the work that they do. Uh, so as a result of this, when I do workshops, and I do workshops for women leaders and aspiring leaders all over the world, um, I always ask, no matter what the culture, whether I'm in Malaysia or in Norway, north of the Arctic Circle, I say, you know, how many of you think you are good at, at really getting known for, for your achievements? And I, I've rarely gotten more than 10% of the hands go up. And when I ask the women, you know, why do you think you're not good? I usually hear one of two answers, uh, either... Um, well, I, if I have to act like that jerk down the hall, mm. uh, to get noticed around here, no thank you. Right. Which is a very either or way of thinking. You know, you either have to be the worst jerk in the whole place or you just, you know, expect others to notice. And the, the second thing I'd hear, her, hear was, uh, I believe if I do great work, people should notice. <laughs> And, uh, you know, maybe in an ideal world, that's true, but that's not the world we live in, especially now because people are so busy and so consumed with, with everything they have to do and all the technology that's, that's coming at them. So people aren't really that much noticing what other people, uh, contribute. And as you move higher, it becomes ever and ever more important to be able to, um, draw attention to your achievements and find a way to do that that you are comfortable with, not following what you perceive to be some self-promotional jerk, but but really 
find a way that you are comfortable saying what your achievements are and getting known for that. That's a big responsibility if you want to rise. I'm, I'm so grateful that you were clear now and also in the book about talking about finding that comfortable zone where you can manage up and, and speak about what you're doing well and what your contributions are. Because from my vantage point, I see so many women similarly to what you just sh- said as a coach who are humble to a fault and just assume that others notice their great work. And as we all know, that's not the case. So we've got to feel comfortable talking about what we did well, because we've earned those accomplishments. Nobody handed them to us. That's exactly right. You know, we have a wonderful example in there. And this this came very much from my own experience. I was working out in Silicon Valley, a wonderful young woman engineer. And we were talking about this and she raised her hand in the workshop. And she said, boy, do I know what you're talking about? She yeah. said, let me give you an example. I, um, She said, I'm working for a new boss. I've been there about two months. She said, I'm an engineer, but I've always prided myself on being very good with people and having a lot of connections. I connect with people. I get resources to flow. A lot of people come to me and say, can you help me on this? She said, and I've always felt that was part of my value. Well, I started working for a new boss and three months into it, we had our first performance review and his comments came back uh, where he said, you know, she's she's very good at her job, but she needs to be more broadly connected. She needs to talk to more people. She needs to get known in the organization, she said. And I felt like I had been punched in the stomach. That oh. The one thing I thought I was really good at, he didn't even know, she said. And I felt so unappreciated. I felt like maybe I shouldn't be working for him. Maybe I shouldn't be in this job. Maybe I should leave the company. She said, and it took me about six weeks where I realized, how would he know? He, he had no way of knowing that I was well-connected because I had never told him. So she decided that what she was going to start doing was to send an email every Friday and just say, dear so-and-so, here are a few people I talked to this week. And just do that. Do it every Friday. Make it a practice. She didn't hear back from him. She thought, you know, he thinks, what is this woman doing? Why is she using up my time like this? Um, she felt really awkward about it. But she just kept it to that one simple line. And she said a couple months later, he came up to her and he said, I am so glad that you started doing that. That is information I need to know. That lets me know who our unit is connecting with. Um, it's really important. Thank you for sharing that information. Great job. And she just realized it was just stepping up and letting them know what she was doing uh, rather than assuming that because she knew she was good at forging connections that he would somehow notice and recognize that. He wasn't in her office. He didn't monitor sure. who came in or, yeah. or check her emails. He was busy doing his job, right? And that's what I I tell so many women. Don't assume that they know what you're doing. There is no reality. It's just perception. And and he didn't observe it. So good for her for taking taking charge of that. And what a great story because those listening can do something similar in their work scenario. That's exactly right. And one of the things we, you know, we identify these different behaviors. That's one. Overvaluing expertise is a big one, you know, focusing all your attention on mastering the details and doing a great job and assuming that because you do a great job that that's going to translate into the next promotion. Whereas, in fact, you may be a not only using up all your bandwidth to 
to do go that extra 5% and make sure that job is per- perfect, but you're also showing that you're perfect for the job you have rather than positioning yourself for what's next. And you may become indispensable to your boss, which is, is really an issue. We have one woman in the book who I worked with and um, she had been told by her boss, you know, I, I had the opportunity to recommend you for this position. He said, but you know, I didn't because I cannot afford to, to lose, to lose you. You, you yes. are so good. I need to have you here. She said for about six months, I felt great about that. And then I started to realize, wait a minute, does that mean I'm never going anywhere? Um, so, you know, we can get kind. She walked into his office and said, you know, when something else came up, I, I will slip my wrist to get that job and I need you to help me. And, and he did, he jumped on board. Um, cause she said, you know, I may be indispensable, but I want to move up here. So we have, you know, these behaviors that I think are, are common, are well articulated and women can identify with. But then we also have practices for beginning to address them on a small level, just like Ellen did with, you know, sending her boss that email. It's not, uh, you're not, trying to change yourself and make yourself a whole new person Monday morning. You're just addressing one behavior and, you know, taking a template for action and engaging people who can help you do that. And the book is so beautifully written, Sally, because the stories are relatable. And I'm, I'm confident that so many women and men who read it are going to say, ah, I do that, or I know someone who might do yeah. that. And, and what a great opportunity to step back and reflect and self-actualize and put in to action the wonderful strategies and action steps that you provide. So it really is a, a gorgeous coaching tool to add to your professional toolbox. But Sally, let me ask, because as a coach, and I'm, we can channel Marshall here as well, yeah. if someone, someone recognizes that they do some of these behaviors and they may have made little check marks in the book, how do you suggest that they begin to tackle them? Because it does seem overwhelming sometimes. So what's yeah. the first step? The first step is to not be overwhelmed. And the way you you avoid being overwhelmed, I mean, I could look at this myself and say, you know, at various stages of my career, I'd say that probably eight out of these 12 behaviors I've exhibited. But if you want to make progress, you start not only with one behavior, but with one part of a behavior and decide to address that before you move on. You don't try to be a brand new person tomorrow, tomorrow morning. Here's an example. Um, one of the behaviors we have is, is offering too much information, being too wordy. You know, research that shows women use 20,000 words a day, men use seven. So if you're in a very male organization, sometimes, you know, men can feel overwhelmed by the amount of information or the amount of background, and it can really be to your advantage, especially as you aspire to leadership, to try to work on becoming more crisp and concise. So you can just, rather than say, oh, I talk too much, you know, how am I going to stop that? You can say, okay, I go to this weekly meeting. Um, I make, I usually make a presentation. I am going to work at being more concise and more crisp in my presentation in that meeting. And you can start with that goal. Start with something that is achievable and that is bounded in, in both time and scope. Uh, and work on that and, and before you move on. And the, the, the second thing, and I think as a coach, you really resonate with this. And this is, this is key. Um, and Marshall has research showing that the people who do make 
you know, serious behavioral changes always involve other people in the effort. And that can be a coach, but it can also be allies. So right. say you're trying to be more concise in a meeting, you know, go up to someone who, who who's always in that meeting and say, you know, I'm really working on trying to get more concise in my presentations. Could you watch me? Let me know if you think I'm, if I'm doing better. Uh, let me know, you know, if you think there's, there's something that I could do to improve. Or if you see somebody who's very concise in their presentations, go up to them and say, you know, uh, you're, you seem really good at this. I'm trying to get better at it. Do you have any tips? Anything that, that you use that helps you be more concise in, in what you're, and what you're doing and and that is such a powerful and again any coach knows the power of that model because you're asking for help so you're getting help you're getting observations you may never have uh getting ideas you may never have thought of by yourself you are broadening the relationships you have in the organization in a very positive way by bringing people in as allies to help you uh, get better. It's a great technique for people who are perfectionists because you have to acknowledge your own vulnerability and and seek help. Um, but also, it advertises the fact that you're changing. As we spoke about earlier, people are busy. People don't necessarily notice. And if, for example, you have been, say, diffuse or loquacious or a little confused in your presentations in the past, people aren't going to necessarily say, wow, um, Caroline is getting so much more concise. But if you, if you're bringing them into the process, they will notice because even as you enlist their help, you are advertising the fact I'm changing. I'm committing to getting better. And, uh, and people begin to notice and it's a powerful way to, uh, to start to shift your reputation. It really is. And, and what a powerful opportunity to create a culture of advocacy within an organization. So it's all good. Sally, yeah. what, what a joy to have you on the show. I, I love, love, love your book. As I mentioned, I, I listened to it. It's delightful to hear both your and Marshall's voices. And of course, I have the hard copy and I've got it dog-eared and highlighted and, and clipped because it is an extraordinary resource. And I want to remind our listeners, it's called How Women Rise, Break the 12 Habits Holding You Back from Your Next Raise, Promotion, or Job. And it's available in all book retailers and, of course, online at Amazon. And there's a gorgeous social media campaign. So I hope that all of our listeners will will listen to the videos and all the great things that you and Marshall are, are putting out into the world. And I thank you for joining me on the show today. It's my pleasure. Yeah, the, the media campaign has been particularly, the social media has been particularly uh, vivid on LinkedIn. And um, I invite any one of your listeners who are interested to uh, uh, to connect with me on LinkedIn. And, and you'll get that uh, opportunity to see those terrific uh, videos and all the things we put up. Agreed. A wealth of resources. Sally, I wish you great success. Many thanks to you and, of course, to Marshall for this wonderful new book. And I hope our paths cross again soon. I do too, Caroline. Thank you. Thanks, Sally. And if all of you like today's show, subscribe on iTunes or SoundCloud. And even better, leave us a review and let us know what career and professional development topics you'd like to hear about so we can address them on a future show. You can find me on Twitter at C. Dowd Higgins or send me a direct email, caroline at carolinedowdhiggins.com. I'm Caroline Dowd Higgins. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>